In your majesty, come down. In your mercy, Lord, come down upon us. Glory, self, in robes of grace. You are welcome in this place where the saints are gathered. St. James. It's good to see you guys, 9 o'clock service people, and uh, live stream people are with us right now too. i uh, got a kind of a, a little bit of a longer announcement to make here, so let me, let me try to be quick about this. So first of all, um, everything is normal schedule-wise this week. Uh, check it out, except for we're not going to have the uh, youth catechism class today. Instead, we're going to, um, I'm going to push that back till next Sunday. Instead, we're going to bump the adult Bible study on Zoom up from its 12.30 time to 11.45 a.m. So after the 10.15 service, um, uh, join us then. And I sent out that email this morning with the study guides for that. So uh, that's a little bit different time, 11.45 this morning. Um, Matt Hainer from CCLS was supposed to be here today to give us an update. In, se- in a couple of weeks, we're going to be uh, making the final vote on whether or not to let CCLS uh, start their uh, micro school here. Now we voted in December to allow them to see if they could make it work, and uh, they have. Matt was, like I said, Matt was supposed to be here today, um, but with the COVID restrictions lifting, he's having to do a bunch of site visits, and so 
he's tied up the next few weekends. And he passed me along this information that he wanted me to give you guys. Um, they have been working hard to get um, the micro school started. There's, they're also starting a micro school at a church in Maplewood as well. And that one also is going well. Uh, he wanted me to tell you that, he, uh, that they were able to get a $50,000 startup grant from Lutheran Foundation of St. Louis, which almost pays for 50% of the first year, regardless if any students showed up at all. But we had a visit here several weeks ago uh, with Matt and with Will, the IT director, who you guys know, a member here, and then um, CCLS's uh, branding director and one of their marketing directors, and they all agreed that this is going to be a pretty much shooting fish in a barrel to get this thing off the ground. Um, they hired their first guide, uh, Janella Lingefelter, who some of you know uh, is local, and she's, uh, they've been waiting to do serious marketing in the community until they had their first guide, and she's been brought on. There's, they still need to hire one more. Uh, we received from them a facility agreement, which uh, the elders are going to look at tomorrow night, and then we'll let you know. It's basically one of, the, one of the things they did when they met here was to say, here's the spaces in the church that we need for the school and we won't use any of the other spaces in the times of the day that they'll need those spaces. And it's pretty much all downstairs. Uh, there's two or three classrooms that they're going to be using. Uh, they're going to get ready to go with uh, serious marketing um, online he here in um, May. can't read my own handwriting. Here in May. And um, if you're interested, uh, on, on CCLS's website, it's already up if you wanted to enroll your kids or yourself. I don't know. Actually, I don't think that's allowed. But if you wanted to enroll your kids, uh, you could go to CCLS, um, CCLS's website and look for CCLS Academy. That's what they're calling uh, the school here and the school in Maplewood, the micro school. Also, uh, remember too, as, as we talk about this uh, with people outside our church, it's important to emphasize that we're trying to build with this new sort of forward-thinking a model of education. We're trying to build Lutheran education here. This is not, we're not trying to take students from uh, Trinity or Good Shepherd, emphasize to people that this model is, is going to be focused on uh, homeschool families. Uh, it's also going to be focused on uh, public school families who are looking for something other than the traditional classroom model for their kids. So we want to emphasize that. All right, if you, want, if you have any questions at all, uh, shoot me an email or text me or just talk to me after church. I think that that's all. Oh, I'm supposed to mention that um, some of you puzzle nerds have started uh, a puzzle shelf on the back, in the bookshelf in the back hallway. And so if you want to borrow a puzzle or drop puzzles off to be borrowed, uh, you can do that. Uh, that's for you nerds. Uh, I think that's all I have as far as um, um, notices. So let's go ahead and stand and uh, we'll continue in worship. Let's, let's uh, begin by praying. Uh, God, as always, uh, uh, we're your people because you've called us into existence, and uh, we need you more than anything else in the world. Uh, uh, again, as I always pray at the beginning of services, we don't want to just talk about you. We don't just want to sing praises to you. We need you to come and meet with us here this morning. We need your presence here to give us all of you to meet the needs of all of us. And so we ask you in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, to come down and make yourself real to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's pray and confess our sins to our Father. Almighty God, our Maker and Redeemer, 
We poor sinners confess unto you that we are by nature sinful and unclean, and that we have sinned against you by thought, word, and deed. Wherefore, we flee for refuge to your infinite mercy, seeking and imploring your grace for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. O most merciful God, who has given your only begotten Son to die for us, have mercy upon us, and for his sake, grant us remission of all our sins. And by your Holy Spirit, increase in us true knowledge of you and of your will and true obedience to your word to the end that by your grace we may come to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the gospel of Christ from 1 John. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven on account of Jesus' name. Amen. Please stay standing for the first hymn. verses of Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you've brought up my soul from shale. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, 
and give thanks to His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment, and His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. The Acts reading uh, for this morning, in, in lieu of the Old Testament reading for the next few weeks, in the past weeks, is from Acts 3. There's a, it's a, basically a sermon that Peter preaches here. While the lame man who was now healed clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also you rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter. Uh, another resurrection appearance here. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
John chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 7, uh, which says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. 
Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, John, I mean the Gospel of John, as well as his letters, uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, uh, a, a huge massive theme in, the, in those letters is the love of God. And it is, of course, in the reading for this morning too. See what manner of love the Father has given to us that we are called children of God. So if I can, just for a few minutes here, can I uh, point out two things about what God's love in these seven verses uh, does to us? So first of all, it changes our status, and then it changes us, our behavior, our thoughts, it transforms us. So first of all, God's love changes our status. This is um, the biblical, this text is talking about the biblical doctrine of adoption, that God has taken us and has put us in his family. He's made us his children. This is what adoption is. Uh, justification, of course, is a super important doctrine, um, which is you know, a real hot take from a Lutheran pulpit, right? There's, you've heard it said in, 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 uh, by them of old that justification is the doctrine by which the church rises and falls. I think that there's a time when that was really, really true. In the medieval period, when there was a group of people who were saying that you are right with God, that God declares you innocent based upon what you do or don't do, it was necessary for the reformers to rise up and say, no, actually God, when he judges us, he declares us not guilty on the basis of what Jesus does. And it was super important to say that at that moment. It's always important to say it, right? It's, it's, it's never not a major biblical theme. But um, there's a biblical theme that when the Bible, when the Bible talks about salvation, it doesn't automatically talk about justification. Justification is big in Romans 3. It's big in Galatians 2. It's mentioned elsewhere. But there's a theme that the Bible consistently goes back to more, and that is this theme of adoption, the theme of God, God's desire from eternity to make and create a family of children for himself. Justification will fit into that, but this is a much bigger theme. So let me say it to you this way. Justification. Justification is courtroom scene, right? There's a judge, God is a judge, and we appear before him and he declares us guilty or not guilty. If he declares you not guilty, it's on the basis of what Jesus, what Jesus has done. That's justification. Is God eternally a judge? The answer is no. There was a time in infinity past when God was not the judge. In order for God to be a judge, there has to be people there to be judged, people who have done right or wrong. There was a time when there were no people who had done right or wrong. God is not eternally a judge. Does that make sense? There are other things that work like this too. Is God eternally holy? Yeah, in the sense that you know he is who he is. His character is what it is, and it always has been that way. But you know what holiness means? Separate from. Has God always been separate? No, there was a time when God was all there was. There has to be, you know, when God created the world, he created something that wasn't him, and then he was separate. And especially when that creation fell through Adam and Eve's sin. Then especially morally, he's holy. But he's not eternally holy. Except in the sense that his character is what it is. Another one that's like this is uh, a Savior, right? Is God eternally the Savior? Yet in the sense that our salvation was planned before the foundation of the world. But there was a time... In infinity past, when there was nothing that needed saving, 
because all there was was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Creator's an easy one, right? I mean, we don't start off our creeds with I believe in God the Creator. And the reason why is because God is not fundamentally a creator. God's being the creator depends upon there being a creation. If God's identity is creator, which, which it is, it depends upon our existence in order to make him who he is, right? However, so, so in other words, those are, those, are, those are examples. Justification, God has not always eternally been judge. There is something that God has always eternally been. Not judge, not savior, not even holy, not creator. God has always eternally been the Father. There has never been a moment in infinity past, present, or infinity future where God has not, is not, or will not be the Father. He is always, that's always been his heart, to pour out his love upon his son Jesus. And now, with us, Jesus' brothers and sisters, to pour out that same love on us. That's adoption. What, what, what kind of love has the Father shown to us that he has called us the children of God? So the, Bible, the New Testament is super insistent that Jesus is the Son of God, and now that title gets transferred to us in a different sort of fundamental sense, but we get to share in that status as well. God's love changes our status from outsiders to now being adopted. We're now children of God. And isn't this, isn't this what you crave? I, 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 I did this example a, a few weeks ago, but like, isn't this what your heart wants? Like justification, that doesn't scratch the itch that you know that, that that's deep down in my heart. Okay, I, I, this was the example. You know, if you get pulled over by a cop, and uh, you, you know the cop comes up and talks to you, and um, you do whatever it is that you do to try to get out of the ticket. You know, I don't know. You play, you know, try to look pitiful, or you you try to be super friendly, or try to look like a good citizen or whatever it is that you do. And let's say that the cop says, okay, I'm going to let you off. I'm not going to give you a ticket. You will probably almost certainly be thankful, unless you're a sociopath. You'll probably be thankful. But will you love that cop? You probably won't love that cop. You probably won't pull away from there and think, you know what, I ought to go back there and see if that guy wants to hang out tonight. That was pretty cool what he did. You probably won't do that. You probably, the next time you drive through there, in fact, what you'll do is you'll be like, I better go slow because it would be real embarrassing if he pulled me over again. And if he pulled me over again and recognized me, he would probably say, no, you're, you're done. And actually, that's the way a lot of us think about God when our sole way mentally of connecting with him is the doctrine of justification. God has forgiven our sins legally. That doesn't actually create love in my heart for me, for him, outside of like knowing about adoption. It creates this sense of like, okay, whew, my legal record has been expunged. I probably should try to do better because it would be embarrassing for him to go to the work of forgiving me and then me just like to keep on sinning. But it doesn't create love. You know what I actually want? What my heart actually craves is not just to have my legal record expunged. My heart craves to be loved and accepted completely by somebody who's going to give me infinite love and always, no questions asked, say, you're my child, that's your status, you're in. There's nothing else that you can do. You can't do anything to lose that. Adoption is what we, now most of us don't think of justification outside of adoption. Part of what I'm trying to get you to do in the past several minutes is to keep on doing that. Never think of justification by itself. It always fits into the doctrine of adoption. God is not just here to forgive your sins legally. God is here to reconcile you to himself. God is not here just to say you're not guilty. 
It won't create love. That doesn't create relationship. God is here to say you're not guilty, but so that he can take you home and make you his daughter, make you his son. That's what he wants to do. Now, there's three things in this new status. There's three things that verse 1 tells us about this new status. First of all, it tells us that this new status is radical. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. What kind of? That's in, the, in Greek, that's actually just one word. It's actually literally, it just says, from what country? So it's, and, and this was going to be a literal translation. The ESV, if it wanted to be super literal, it would say, see what, what country, what kind of country does this love come from? The, probably the best that I can think of, the best English parallel to this would be like, what in the world? Like, what in the world kind of love is this? That's, that emphasizes that it's a crazy, like it's actually sort of alien. It's, it's not the way that things work. It's like from outside of the universe. That kind of, this is actually what it means. It's, it's a love that's radical. It's not the way that we do things. It is unheard of that somebody would adopt somebody who they have no responsibility for, no prior relationship with, and adopt them and make them their actual literal child, the heir of all, their, the, the, all of their property, and the recipient of all of their love. That's unheard of. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, there, there is, people adopt people. Yeah, do you remember what I talked about Tom Holland's book, Dominion, last week? Go read that book. Adoption, that's actually a Christian thing. The reason why adoption exists in the world, the reason why it's a thing that people would not know a kid and then go out of their way and spend tons of money to make their, that kid their actual child, that's strictly due to Christianity. The earliest Christians decided to, to take in orphans, abandoned babies, and to adopt them because they recognize my status has been, my, my status is I've been adopted by God. I need to pass that forward to other actual human beings. Show them that grace. Give them that experience of God's love, which they can only have by being adopted by him. We're going to give them a visceral experience. The fact that adoption existed at all, so you can't use it as an example. It's actually, naturally, outside of the context of Christianity, ad adoption is incredibly unheard of. It's radical. This kind of love is Otherworldly radical. So it's not just radical. It's also, um, it's also received. Now little children abide in him. I'm sorry, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. This adoption is not something that you do on your own. It's not something that you get. You don't call yourself adopted. We have been, passive tense here, we have been called the children of God. God calls us adopted. It's something that you receive. It's not something that you get. So why am I saying that? I mean, this is just a good Protestant salvation theology, right? It's God chooses us to be his children. We don't choose ourselves. But here's the main point I want you to know uh, for right now, just as a practical thing. We frequently don't feel like we are God's children because of stuff that we do or because experiences in life or because just there's a barrier between us and him. Let me just assure you that you are God's child because he has called you his child. And when he calls us his children, we're his children. However you feel about it or whatever you've done, it's a status. Like my son can say, I don't really feel like you're my dad or I wish that you weren't my dad or we haven't talked in however many years. This is not the case. But like say we hadn't talked in, in, in several years, he could just say there's, that relationship is fractured. But as long as I call him my son, his status is my son. That's where you're at with God in Jesus Christ. He calls you his child. It's received. It's not just radical. It's not just received, but it's actually real. Uh, last line in verse one, or the middle of verse one, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. John says, just in case 
Just in case you think this is some sort of analogy. We're called children of God. Oh, that's kind of an interesting image. That he would, like we're like his children. No, John says we really are his children, and so you are. That's actually who we are now. We are, it's not we're like, we're not like the children of God. We really are the children of God. That's our status. Okay, this is what God's love does. It changes our status. It makes us his children. Now, the second thing it does, once it makes us his children, once it changes our status, is it actually starts to transform us. By the way, this is what love always does. Love does two things. This is going to be helpful, I think. It's helpful for me when I think about the way that the world uses the the word love and the way that I tend to use the word love. Love does two things, always does two things. Love completely accepts, and love shapes and transforms. So a lot of times we, um, we Christians are like, um, you know, love transforms you. Okay, this is true. Uh, sometimes uh, non-Christians were like, well, no, love just accepts. And that's true too. It, the thing is, with, with the Bible, you have to have both of those. God's love, like all love, both accepts, completely accepts, no questions asked. No sort of standards. No, like, you've got to do this before I'll accept you. Completely accepts, no questions asked. And starts to transform us. I was, when I was thinking about this transition between, you know, the points I was trying to make here that God's love changes our status, and then God's love transforms us. I thought about this uh, fantastic quote, because I just shared this with uh, a couple in marriage counseling this past week. This fantastic quote from G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy, which I would highly recommend that you read. And it goes like this, talking about love. It says this, some stu- Chesterton says, some stupid people started the idea that because women obviously back up their own people through everything, therefore women are blind and do not see anything. They can hardly have known any real women. The same women who are ready to defend defend their men through thick and thin are almost morbidly lucid about the thinness of their man's excuses or the thickness of their man's head. Love is not blind. That's the last thing it is. Love is bound. And the more it is bound, the less it is blind. You see what he's saying there? Like a woman will love her husband, and if anybody else says anything bad about him, she will defend him almost irrationally to the hilt. However... When it's just the two of them, she's determined to excise any of his bad behavior. She's determined to poke him and poke him and poke him until he becomes a better man. Those two things aren't separate. That's actually what love does. Love completely accepts. But once accepted, love works on completely transforming us. And so that's what I want to focus on for the next few minutes here. God's love as transformative power. God's love transforms us. So first of all, God's love transforms our behavior. Look down at verse 4. John, in the middle of this talk about love, John goes into this little excursus about sin and the definition of sin and how people who know God don't continuously keep on sinning. Here's what he says. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. That's that's a, that's a big definition for John. It's a big definition for Paul too. Sin is lawlessness. So sin is breaking God's law. You know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. In other words, once you are accepted as a child of God, he is determined to change your behavior. He completely accepts us, regardless of our sin. Adoption is completely bringing a child into your family, regardless of of their past background, or who they are, or the fact that they're not related to you biologically at all. Once that child is brought into your family, though, the family, even unintentionally, starts to shape and transform that child to look like the rest of the family, to transform its behavior. 
And in the case of being adopted into God's family, to start to root out sin and lawlessness. Now, I freely admit that this is one of the culture and you guys, your main beefs with Christianity is that there's a lot of rules. Like once you sign up for this thing, there's a bunch of do's and don'ts that you have to do. It's a bit restrictive or a lot restrictive depending upon where you are in life. The problem with that though is that we're still thinking of salvation as primarily justification, as primarily a forgiveness of sins. Sins are a, legal, a list of things that we do that's wrong. And God comes and says, okay, just forget that. I'm going to take, take that off your account. But now he says, now I, I want you to keep on trying. And you're like, okay, so I, I still have to look at the list. I know I'm forgiven, but now I, I, I've got to try to, you know, you, the, the, the cop lets you get away. And the next time you drive through his neighborhood, you're thinking, I better not get pulled over. I cannot speed. I better stop for a full three seconds at this stop sign. Those, the, the list of things in your head. That's, what, that's the problem with this. And can I encourage us to do this? This is what John is doing. Why does, why does John bring sin being lawlessness and stop doing that up here in the context of a conversation about God's love for us? It's because it's this. Listen, John wants us to think about morality and ethics, not in terms of a list of rules that must be obeyed, but in terms of adoption into a new family in which the new coin of the realm is love. Now, Paul makes this exact point in Romans chapter 13 when he says, love is the fulfilling of the law. And anybody who loves his brother or sister is fulfilling the law. What does he mean by that? Okay, sin is lawlessness, yes. Do you know how best not to murder? Or, like as Jesus says, to hate your brother in your heart? To love them. You know the best way not to covet? Not to be... Not to be uh, uh, you know, not to, not, to, not to crave schadenfreude that, that bad things would happen to people around you. Not to, not to take some sort of like uh, sick despair in when things happen good to people around you. You know, you know, the best way to do that is not to say to yourself, okay, Aaron, don't covet. Aaron, do not break the coveting law. Aaron, don't, don't be greedy. Do not be jealous. The best way to do that is not to list laws in my head that I need to keep. The best way to do that is to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, learn to love you guys, like genuinely outside of me, love you guys. In other words, to learn to live in this new family that God has created, to learn to be just as happy for my brothers and sisters when good things happen to them as, as if they happened to myself, to learn not to hate you in my heart because that's not what you do with brothers and sisters. Does this make sense? Why does John bring up this sin is lawlessness, so stop sinning in the context of adoption? Because that's the best way to do it. In other words, once God completely accepts you as his child, adoption, he begins to completely transform you through that same principle by teaching us that he is our father and that we are brothers and sisters together. We learn to love each other, i.e., to stop being lawless, to stop disobeying God's commands. In fact, He's going to go right after our text. It's not in your bulletin, but right after our text. You could look in the Pew Bible if you wanted to. Right after our text, he flows right in organically into this discussion of loving each other. By this it is evident who are the children of God. How do you know who are the adopted ones? Who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness, whoever, you know, whoever's not do, whoever is lawless and doesn't practice righteousness is not in, nor is the one who does not love his brother and sister. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. What does adoption mean here? For John, adoption means love each other, which means you won't be sinning anymore. 
It's best inside of your relationship with Christ not to think of like, okay, I gotta obey all these rules and more to think I'm adopted. Now I get to love my brothers and sisters. Does this make sense? A rescued animal that's been mistreated. Some of you have rescued dogs before that are just used to being kicked or beaten. The best way to do it is not to try to train the dog with rules or by behavioral conditioning. The best way to do it is to lovingly feed the dog, to take care of the dog, and slowly the dog will come to understand that, oh, oh yeah, I'm accepted here. I can love these people back. This is the way that we are in Jesus Christ. Our behavior is changed, not by learning a bunch of rules that need to be followed, but by, but by learning to live and love in this new family that we've been uh, adopted into. In other words, God's adoption of us is a relationship that transforms our behavior. It also, secondly, it transforms our values. Look at the very last part of verse one. The reason why the world does not know us is that they did not know him. Again, if you're not thinking, if, if you know, we, we think in terms of justification, this sort of phrase doesn't make sense. Okay, so he's talking about adoption. Why does he say that the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him? It's, it's, what he's saying is this. Every family has values, things that, things that they value. And unless you're on the inside of that family, you don't get it. There are things about your family that like are weird. There's catchphrases that you have. There's inside jokes. There's behaviors that would be offensive to the rest of us or just downright ludicrous to the rest of us. But inside your family, they totally make sense. If you came over to dinner at my house, it would be totally normal to have a conversation about advanced baseball statistics or World War II history or which beetle is your favorite beetle or you know what's the difference in similarities between the Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, all while eating Asian food and listening to classical music. And that's the sort of thing that some of you would be like, oh, that sounds horrid to me. But like in my family, that's the way it works. That's just every meal is going to be something like that. That's because my family has a certain sort of values. Now, if we adopted somebody into my family, it's weird that my kids are interested in, in a lot of the same things that Angela and I are interested. How, why is this? It's because being in the same family starts to shape, shape and adjust your value, so much so that people on the outside, who he calls the world here, in terms of the Christian family, those who are adopted by God, don't get it. They don't understand it. It's a foreign language to them. Let me give you a couple examples of how this has worked out, like just stuff that I've noticed uh, recently. So first of all, the fa one of the family values of God's family is the rights of others over individual rights. Individual rights is a very, very American value. In God's family, though, the value is never individual rights. It's always the right to serve each other. And that's just weird. Like, if you're not in the family, and I know that y'all are Americans, and so you're kind of like battling between both of these values sometimes. Let me just encourage you to start to live more and more in the value of your real family. You know, your citizenship in America is going to go at some point. You are, do you realize that in the new creation, you will not be a citizen of the United States? You'll be a full-fledged member of God's kingdom. Paul says, your your in Philippians, your citizenship is in heaven. Start to live like it now. Start to value love and service of the, of the, the rights of the other. This is what families do. They start to transform. I was having this conversation with Andy Walsh last week. So Andy and Shayla had a, a baby. Some of you took food to them the past week or so. And we were talking about Caden... Well, you know, Kennedy, like she's, up until now, she's been an only child, and she loves Caden, her new brother, but there's this right turn she's had to take, which is, I no longer get mom all to myself. 
And Andy was saying, like, so, so uh, Kennedy loves Caden, but whenever Shayla picks Caden up, Kennedy is instantly all over her. Like, no, 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 Mom, hold me, hold me. What does is, what is being in a family with multiple people do in a healthy scenario? Sometimes it's not healthy. In a healthy scenario, what it does is it forces us to love the other. It forces you to realize, oh, wait a minute, this, this whole thing here, mom and dad and the siblings, this is not all about me. I actually am responsible to love and take care of them. This is a family value. This is an adopted by God value. It's not a cultural value. The world will not understand it if you live in that way. But if you live in that way, it will be an invitation to be a part of this family. Let me give you another value real quick. Families transform us from, the family of God, being adopted into the family of God transforms us from people who believe in power to people who believe in love. You knew I was going to talk about this at some point because I talk about power all the time lately. I was uh, watching uh, this week. So, uh, People who believe in love instead of power, like a force. I was, I've been studying 1 Peter recently, and in 1 Peter 4, there's this wonderful text where Peter says, like, always be prepared to give a defense of the hope that's in you to anybody who asks, but do it with gentleness and fear. Do it with gentleness and fear. And I was um, watching... Um, uh, a pastor and apologist, Tim Keller, I was watching this week with interest, um, a Twitter interaction he was having with uh, several non-Christians, aggressively non-Christian people, authors and, and, and thinkers on Twitter. And you know, he was saying, they were saying to him, your vision of the world is oppressive because you say Christianity is right and other, in, in the places where other worldviews disagree with Christianity, they're wrong. And that binary worldview is naturally oppressive. One of the things he was trying to do is to say, actually, if you're telling me that I'm wrong, that itself is binary. It's impossible not to be binary. You can be like, Christianity is oppressive, that's wrong, you shouldn't think that. But actually by saying that, you are oppressively telling somebody else that you're right and they should agree with you. And so he was, he was saying, so it's not a question of who's binary and who's not binary. The question is, whose binary worldview leads them to love and be gentle with and tender with the other side. And it's interesting because the more he says that, the angrier, they're get, the angrier they get at him, almost making his point. Why does he say that, though? Look, if the coin of the realm is love and not power, if the coin of the realm this, is this adopted relationship, I'm totally, I don't need to defend God. I can give a defense of what I, the hope that's in me in Jesus Christ. I can tell you what that is. But I don't have to force you to believe in that because I'm not in charge of it, God is. He takes care of that. Also, everybody in the entire world is either my brother and sister in Christ or potentially on their way to being my brother and sister in Christ. I'm free to love them. Now, if that doesn't exist, if there is no transcendent relationship with ultimate truth coming down to love us and adopt us into his family, then all there is is I have to convince you. There is no grounds for gentleness and fear. It's just aggressiveness and um, hyperness and like this oversensitivity. And unfortunately, you see a lot of Christians interact on social media with this worldly value, aggressive, with not, not with gentleness and fear, like 1 Peter 4 says. But inside of the family of God being adopted by him, you can begin to be transformed to have this value, the value of love and acceptance and gentleness and fear because you've been liberated by the adoption of God to be that way. 
So it transforms our behavior, it transforms our value, and then finally, and I'm done here, it transforms our future. Look at verse two. Beloved, we are God's children now. We've been adopted. That's our status. What we will be in the future has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. It transforms our future. Anytime you get into a relationship, it could have been like making a new friend in junior high. It could have been, you know, what college did you decide to go to? What was your first job that you took? Anytime you get into a relationship, you open yourself up to an unknown manifestation of future consequences. Look, you make a friend with somebody and you have no clue where that's headed. It's an adventure. You get married to somebody and you have no, like if you had told me when Angela and I were dating in college, like if you had described my three kids to me, I would have been like, no way, that's so cool. I could not have imagined. I mean, I, you know, I, like, I thought that we would eventually have kids, but I couldn't have imagined these specific kids. It's an adventure to be involved in a relationship with somebody because the future is wide open. And now what, what John is saying here is we don't know what it's going to be like, but we do know who we are in Jesus Christ now. We're adopted. And that means there's this huge, incredible, infinite adventure in front of you. You don't know what the future is like, but you're guaranteed that it's going to be good stuff. Why? Because being adopted in God's family radically transforms where you're going. It radically, first of all, it changes your status. And then it radically transforms your behavior. It transforms your values. And it transforms your future even. That's how powerful God's love is for us. That's biblical adoption. Okay, stand with me and let's pray. And then we'll have communion. Let's pray. Father, it's just a crazy kind of love that you've loved us with. And out of this world, an alien kind of love that you've loved us with. We are so grateful that you, that your love for us is not just that you look kindly upon us or that you have affection for us or even that you do good things for us, but that you've actually changed our status by bringing us into your family. It's just amazing. that, that you're, you're an amazing God with amazing love. Lord, in your mercy. God, we confess that we don't frequently live like your children. We free, frequently are tempted to live like children of the darkness, like children of the world, like children with different values than your family values. God, will you please transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit to be like Jesus, to look more and more like our big brother, to be transformed more and more within this family relationship, to be transformed more and more to looking genuinely, not just being, but looking and acting and thinking and speaking like one of your children, Lord, in your mercy. God, I pray that you would be with all the requests that all of us have this morning, um, a request of uh, for health concerns, and uh, I know for a fact that uh, tons of us are grappling with anxiety and depression, uh, some on a big level, some on a minor level, all of us on a minor level. Uh, God, may we learn to see our identity, may we learn to find our identity in our relationship with you, that uh, whatever, the th whatever happens to the things of this world in our life, our money or our health, or even our biological family or our friends, or our country, that whatever happens, that we are 100%, no questions asked, your children, that you love us. No matter what, we are in your family. Help us to see that and live in that. And especially, Father, help us to live in the hope of the resurrection, that this family relationship you've brought us into is an eternal one, that it does not end ever, but we are always your children, that you are going to raise us up on the last day when your son Jesus returns. Lord, in your mercy. 
Father, what a great text, 1 John 3. After reading that text to pray this prayer, God, we thank you so much for uniting us to your son Jesus, for making us his brother, and for thereby making us your daughters and sons. And so when we come to you and pray like this, when we come to you and pray at all, even when we're not praying, we're sitting on your lap in your throne room asking you these requests as your dear children. And so we can only pray these prayers to you in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. If you can, will you say the words of the Nicene Creed with me, which are printed in your bulletin? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day He rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And He will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And now, pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah. 
Now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. 
depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles, and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Look around, find somebody you don't recognize or somebody you do recognize but haven't talked to in a while. Be appropriately observant of social distancing, uh, but go to them and start to build a relationship. Go in peace.